search of an enemy. And that's what this book is all about. I'll try. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, I, I, uh, in order to get started, there's so much that could be said. Um, this has been a truly an incredible journey, I believe, for our church, going through the Old Testament. Um, not many churches would take that on. And uh, I can tell you honestly, at times it seemed daunting. It would be so much easier, and we've done this in the past, of going through an individual book within the Old Testament. And then we've gone through individual books of the New Testament. And then we've gone through individual books of the Old Testament. But to try to do an overview and hitting all 39 books of the Old Testament uh, at times has just been like, wow. But uh, I'm excited because, um, you know, as a church body, if you've been with us since September, um, you've been able to see, hopefully, uh, an incredible picture that has constantly been focusing on the coming Messiah. And coming up in in three weeks, we're going to be relaunching this series because it's still Route 66, but now we are entering into the New Testament and uh, hitting on those 27 books. And it, it's just a thrill to be able to be with you and learning myself as others have been preaching and teaching and I'm gleaning from them and, and it's helped me to be re-digging back in to these stories that are so vital for us and uh, at times can be so neglected because we just want to be a New Testament church, so to speak. What I'd like to do to uh, get started is, um, you know, just, you know, the, the title of this message is Looking Back to See Ahead. And, you know, um, I can tell you, I had a grandfather who um, never looked in his rearview mirror. And... He drove horribly, and, and he never used his side mirrors, and I mean, if you got in the car, you were kind of like, oh, please, 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 please. I wasn't a believer then, but just that experience alone almost brought me to becoming a believer because he, Grandpa would just like change lanes and just all of a sudden last minute, boom, you know, and, and, and he was um, still driving into his 80s, and, and he should not have been. And I can just remember, wow. And we said, Grandpa, don't you ever look in your rearview mirror? He goes, why should I? That's up to the people behind me to look out for me. And, you know, you just kind of go, oh, you know, that's kind of tough. I, I was thinking for those of you who are uh, old, like I am, um, uh, you remember the 70s, Okay. I know some of you remember the 60s, so I don't want to hear anything. But um, you remember the 70s when Roots came out. Alex Haley wrote an incredible book in which he went back and traced his ancestry all the way to Kunta Kinte. And that became this docudrama, which uh, for me, it was mesmerizing. I mean, I, I was a teenager, and yet I was going, man, this is... This is incredible. 
and to know that it was a true story. You know, not one of those like today in Hollywood. This movie uh, was based off of a true story. Yeah, basing it off a true story could mean they took the name of the person, but everything else is just made up by Hollywood, right? But this book, Alex Haley, was phenomenal. And so many people for, for quite a few decades were like, wow, that was, that was powerful. Nowadays, uh, I think, uh, you know, Ancestry.com, right, or other places like that where you can go online, you can do saliva tests, or you can do, um, you know, uh, DNA testing and get your blood, and, and you can find out what ethnicities y- you have in you. I have one friend I won't say his name, but he knows who, who he is um, if he ever listens to this message. And uh, we went to high school together, and he grew up thinking that he was Chinese and very proud of being Chinese. And just about a year ago, he and his family took the, the DNA testing, and they are Korean. <laughs> now, there's a part Chinese in there, but they thought they were like major Chinese and didn't think any, any part of Korean wa- was in their uh, heredity. And, and so all of a sudden, that was like a big, whoa. Okay? Um, I, I think of uh, myself. When Shirley and I were first uh, married and we were starting our family, uh, uh, many of you know that I was adopted. And I did not know any of my background. Um, I, I hadn't asked uh, my parents about that. And as we started having kids, it was right when we had our second one, Amanda, I was curious. I'd been curious for a long time, but I was like, "Ah, I don't want to do anything about that because that was kind of a sensitive issue for my mom. And and it it was hard. But she came to me uh, one day and she goes, hey, your your brother tells me that you want to find out about, you know, your background. Your heritage, and I said, well, you know, I was kind of like, is this a loaded question, you know, and, and my mom is not sitting there right now, but she's in the nursery holding her, you know, great-granddaughter, and she's probably sitting there going, oh, you're saying it wrong, but that's okay, um, and, and so she proceeded to give me a, a name and a phone number, and um, the way God worked things out, I didn't have a chance to contact that person, my biological uncle had reached out to a different family relative, and gave me a call and I called him and we made a connection. So I've had, I've had uh, time together with my biological uh, mother and my biological father. And so it, it kind of helped me feel like, okay, I can kind of get an understanding of my, of my background, of my heritage. I wasn't looking to add another family. I was just looking for, you know, kind of like some completeness. I wasn't abandoning my family, but still, you know, when you have that kind of yearning, who am I? Where do I come from? And I share all this with you because this book, it was one book in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Chronicles does that for the Jewish people. So in our Bibles, it's the 13th and 14th book of the Old Testament. But in the Hebrew Bibles, it is one book, and it is the last book. That is what closes out the Hebrew Scriptures. 
And that's why we've saved it to the end. That's why we're preaching on that now. Because we want to be able to t- somehow, uh, I hope, t- tie in everything that, that we've been learning about and, and you know, kind of narrowing it down to one thing, which I think is the important. Uh, just this week, I was talking to somebody, and he said, hey, Craig, you're, you're preaching on Chronicles. He goes, wow, good luck. And uh, he said, did you know there was just an article that came out from, uh, from a guy at Nine, Nine Marks Church, and it says, four reasons you should preach through First and Second Chronicles. I was like, oh, cool. I, hey, I, thanks for letting me know that. And so I went, and, and this guy gave four reasons, and he just says, Chronicles focuses our attention on God's sovereign purposes in Christ Jesus. Chronicles equips the church to persevere as pilgrims. And in that, he said, the chronicler reminds them to focus on God's promises and learn from the past about how to endure amid a sinful world. The third reason he gave is Chronicles reminds God's people to keep praying. That's one thing that has so excited me about our church is it's a praying church and it has never been more evident than the last eight months. It's been eight months since Pastor Brad and Margie had resigned. And again, last week I believe you were told, um, you know, that God has landed them at a great little church up in Washington on Anderson Island, and they're starting uh, September 1st. But for our church, you know, there was people like, ah, oh no, ah, and you know what? It's been awesome. You started really praying. I felt it. I know the elders felt it. I know the staff has felt it. And there's been an energy and an excitement of what God is doing here. And so it just, you know, this whole reason of of equipping the church uh, or reminding God's people to keep praying, it's like, yeah, we we can never stop being reminded of that. And then the fourth reason was Chronicles emphasizes the importance of godly leadership and faithful worship. Godly leadership and faithful worship. And I just thought, wow, that that was really cool. And in the end, Chronicles ultimately emphasizes a person and a place. Jesus is that promised one. He's the person that is emphasized. And that one day, when he returns, he will usher us into that perfect place. I was like, man, good stuff. Good stuff. And so as, as I was looking at, at things, I wanted to bring to uh, our attention differences because, listen, when we went through our reading program and, and the book of Chronicles comes right after 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Well, again, in Hebrew scriptures, Samuel is just one book, Kings is one book, and Chronicles is one book. But I thought it was important just to be able to present to you and show you some of the differences because I remember during that time people were going, oh my goodness, this is so boring. I've already read this. 
And if you ever look up any comparative charts, you can find where parts of 1 Samuel and parts of 2 Kings and parts of within the Chronicles, how they all fit on in together within these six books, some of them speak about the same things. And today I'm going to focus on what I think is the most important thing that they have talked about, united about. But there are so many others. So as you look at this, in First and Second Samuels and First and Second Kings, you can see that from their perspective, from those writers' perspectives, it was a, a prophetic perspective. It was all about the message of judgment. And I don't know about you, but there was some times during the weeks that we've been going through these books where you just feel like, man, it almost seems like God is just angry all the time. And he wasn't. But from those authors' perspectives, that the importance was making sure that it was a prophetic perspective. They were messages of judgment because, hey, people, you are neglecting your God. You are forgetting your first love. And so the message that God gave to them was, okay, here's the judgment that's coming. And, and in Chronicles, it's a priestly perspective. It's a message of hope. From Samuel and Kings, all right. Um, uh, it's a prophetic authorship. They emphasize the prophetic ministry that was taking place and the moral concerns. Remember we saw where, where the morality was just, oh, it was horrendous. Not only were the people, but the kings. There were so many kings who were doing things in, in their own eyes that were just evil, according to the Lord. But from Chronicles, it's from a priestly authorship. Many people believe that, that Ezra wrote this, though we can't be for certain, but it seems to tie on in. There's some similar language used in Ezra's book as well as in here, and it emphasizes the priestly ministry and the spiritual concerns. Understand, those are two different things, morality and spirituality. Now, sometimes they're, they're coming in together, they're intertwined, but understand this, they are still separate issues. There's a, there's a world that, you know, they may have different morals than we would hold to as uh, evangelical Christians, but they still have morals. But from the spiritual concerns, that's what the chronicler is writing about the fortunes of the thrones. That's what the, so much is written. Remember, we, there were so many bad kings, particularly in the north. Wow. In Israel, those guys were just horrendous. It was very few good kings. But from Chronicles' perspective, it's on the continuity of the Davidic line. And that's what the chronicler is focusing on. He's not taking the time to talk about all the kings. It's not trying to be all-inclusive. Samuel and kings took care of that. The chronicler is just focusing in on, hey, the Davidic line. Even though there's going to be some bleed over, he's not concerned with so many of the other things. We saw in the video where... Um, uh, you know, it was mentioned that um, uh, the negative stories of David were left out. It's not because that chronicler was trying to like, oh, we're going to cover up. 
That's not what it was at all. It's just the focus is on, I want to focus on the continuity of David's line and focus on those parts. It's just like a message. You know, you have 35 to 40 minutes. You can't possibly cover all the things that we could unpack. So you have to cut and boom. You have to do that in your jobs as well. You have to do that with your families. You have to do that with yourself. Hey, I'd like to do this, 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 and this. And if you're like me, I'm, hope, I'm lucky if I get to this. And I'm really lucky if I finish it. Particularly after the week I had this week. So if you have had that kind of week, I'm with you. I'm with you. But not only that, within these things, uh, also, uh, the more negative, the authors in Samuel and Kings, they were very, very negative because they were talking about the rebellion and the tragedy of turning away from the Lord and the tragedy of what happens when supposed leaders do not lead in the way that God desired. And yet, in Chronicles, it's much more positive. Even though there are mentions about apostasy there are mentions about, oh yeah, there's some things that weren't too good. It's still a hope in the face of tragedy. And also you can see number five on the left, Samuel and Kings. It's a record of both Israel and Judah. If you remember, we, were, we learned about Saul and his kingdom and then David and then after him, his son Solomon and after Solomon, the kingdom divided. Ten tribes to the north were referred to as Israel. Two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin. And that's where the Lion of Judah, as Jesus is referred to in Scripture, he comes from that line. That's where David came from. And so as you look at these things, Chronicles primarily is only dealing with Judah, the southern tribe. Not only that, then we get to see uh, um, all kinds of other things as well. We get to see man's failings. That's what the authors were focusing in on. But in Chronicles, the chronicler writes about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. I can't tell you how many times I need to be reminded of that. Because there are points in my life when I will let the circumstances dictate how I think and how I feel instead of the truth of who God is. And the fact, fact, that he is faithful. And so morality, that was focused in on, on Samuel and Kings, but redemption was the focus in Chronicles. And then we get to... In, in the other books, emphasizes the throne of earthly kings. Man, the writers took so much time to go into depth on, on almost all the kings. And yet, for Chronicles, it's on the earthly throne. So much focus is on the temple. Because on the temple is dealing with worship. And the focus, instead of on earthly kings, it's on the heavenly king. In Samuel and Kings, it emphasizes kings and prophets. But in Chronicles, it, it emphasizes King David and the priests and what they're doing in the temple. In Samuel and Kings, it was all 
political and kingly. In Chronicles, it's religious and priestly. And the last two, I got these from uh, two sources. Walked through the Bible and a survey of the Old Testament. And just thought that putting them together helped bring, at least it helped me, I hope it's helping you. It compiled by authors soon after the events. In Samuel and Kings, those books were written right after the events took place. In Chronicles, it was compiled by a priest, again, probably Ezra, many years after they were released. Persia came, conquered Babylon. They let the Israelites go back home. Jerusalem was was just destroyed. But that's It wasn't written right after they were allowed to go home. It was written a long time afterwards. Some commentators say a couple centuries. And then finally, it was written shortly after the beginning of the captivity. And as I said, written shortly. uh, It wasn't written shortly after the return of the captivity. That, That was my bad. That was my bad. That's why I was talking about it. And I should have saved that until I got to that to correct that. It was written quite a ways after the return from the captivity. And so uh, I bring those to your attention just because I think that they're important and I'm hoping helpful in uh, your understanding of why are we taking the time to go over a book like this. Particularly, particularly when it starts off with nine chapters of genealogy. Okay, I got to tell you, there's two sides going on in my mind. I'm like, there's not, I'm not even going to touch that, right? Not even going to touch that unless I want everybody to fall asleep within the first two minutes. But then there's another part of me that says, I'm going to be all over. That's all the message is going to be about. I'm going to unpack this in such a way because, you guys, it's not in here to bore people. It is the historical record. God wanted this chronicler to be able to say, hey, in order to move forward, we got to look back. We've got to remember whose we are. We have to remember where we have come from over the centuries. And it's powerful. As I was reading through it this week, I was like, oh, I could, I could preach on him. And, oh, no, 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 but he's better. And then I'm thinking, oh, I'll t- preach on this family. It's like, nope, I can't. But I want to tell you, I want to challenge you. It's fascinating not to read a genealogy. But it's fascinating to kind of go, oh, wow. And this person and this family, that's where, that's where that comes from. That's where these people group comes from. Now, the chronicler takes nine chapters to do this. I'm going to tell you something else. Um, When we get into Matthew, you better hope I'm not preaching on that first one on Matthew. Because Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, are the genealogy of Jesus from the very beginning. Now, Matthew was able to do it in 17 verses. He left quite a few people out. 
And, and it's not trying to give a record of all of, of the Hebrew people like the chronicler is doing. He's just focusing in on the line of Jesus that went through the line of David. So please don't, don't uh, bypass that and think, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, here's what I really wanted us to kind of focus in on. I remember preaching about this way back in January. And it was in Samuel. And it's the Davidic covenant. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you could turn there because I, I realize that, you know, putting up those five verses on the left-hand side, they're pretty small for a lot of you, particularly over on the right-hand side when I bled into our, our, our time with First Chronicles. But First Chronicles 17 and 2 Samuel chapter 7 basically are, you can see it, it's almost word for word. I'll read 2 Samuel. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. you will, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom? That's verse 12. Go to the right-hand side, verse 11. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, again, different authors, different time periods, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. The Davidic covenant being repeated. Hundreds of years difference. I shouldn't say hundreds. Within a couple hundred years difference. And then he is the one, verse 13 on your left-hand side of 2 Samuel, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. These are the words that the Lord gave to Nathan to give to King David. So these are the Lord's words to David. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The Davidic covenant. And as we've gone through all the Old Testament and we've been seeing how the creation of man, the fall of man, and the redemptive plan that God has for man, this folks, is the key of the entire Old Testament to prepare us for the coming Messiah. And it's seen here in 1 Chronicles. Verse 12, chapter 17. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from his predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. You know, there's a, a psalm that uh, is Psalm 89. And if you, you'd like to turn there, that, that'd be great. But 
um, I'm going to read some different verses. Uh, in Psalm 89, this again, uh, this was written by Ethan, the Ezraite. And he's talking about God's promise to preserve David's descendants. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, 28 and 29, and 34 through 37. And he says this, You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Selah. Verse 28, I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. And verse 34 through 37, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon and the faithful witness in the sky. Man, I think about when Damto was here last week. And he was telling us and reminding us that God is a covenant giver and he's also a promise giver. But more importantly than that, he is a covenant keeper. And he is a promise keeper. He was sharing that with us from the book of Malachi and that is true of the character of God no matter what book you look at. He is a giver and a keeper of his covenants and his promises. A lot of you might be going, well, yeah, I'm still waiting. Imagine the Israelites. Because after this time period, God was silent for 400 years. I'm sure there was a lot of them that were going, oh, yeah, okay, what happened about all this? But God is faithful. We might not enjoy or appreciate his timeline, but we have to remember his timeline is perfection to accomplish his will. And so as, as we look at this and we're ending the Old Testament and beginning the New Testament, uh, throughout we've read and seen how God has shown his love and his faithfulness talked about at the beginning about roots. Alex Haley wrote the book Roots. Um, a lot of us are trying to find out our roots. I shared with you a little bit about my journey 29 years ago when it kind of started. And yet I, I want to ask you, what, what are your roots? See, some of you are kind of like, eh, I don't really care. That's all right. But I'm going to ask you this. What are your spiritual roots? See, the key for, for the remnant that had survived being in exile, the key was to remember who they were and whose they were, that they were not forgotten. And in order to build back up their belief in God, God had the chronicler write from the very very beginning. When, when, again, when you look at that, 
Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And then he writes about the sons of Japheth. And he goes on. And then the sons of Ham. And he goes on. And the Canaan was the father of, and he just keeps going on. For them, it was rebuilding. Yes. God has been with our fathers. God has been there. How about you? I, I've been uh, thinking recently that I need to do something, and I haven't done it before. I've been challenged on this um, uh, in the past, but I've just never taken the time to do it. But I need to do this. Um, I want to trace my spiritual journey. I want to go back and start recording some of those things. Ever since I saw uh, an illustration, a reading, where it, Billy Graham was able to retrace all the different people who, who discipled somebody, who then discipled somebody, who then discipled somebody, who then discipled somebody, who discipled somebody, and it goes back, and they were able to trace it back about 17, 18 people way back before Billy was ever born. And, and God used each of those individuals and, and used them in such a way that that last person then led Billy Graham to Christ. For me, I've thought about the fact that I grew up going to a public school, but I didn't know God. I knew about God. I went to a private school. Did I say that backwards? I went to a private school. I knew about God. I didn't know him. I had people in my life who were trying to talk to me about him, but I was like, eh. But still, they were, they were speaking truth into me lovingly. And then a guy that I've never seen since. In July of uh, 1979, and I only know that because it was the first Christian party I'd ever gone to. I showed up with a six-pack of root beer. <laughs> what, 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 what do you bring to a Christian party? <laughs> I was the guy who used to bring cases of regular beer. And that night he opened up the scriptures and God captured my heart. And I prayed to receive Christ that night. And the only reason why I can know the, the, the day is because it was a July 4th party and I prayed to receive Christ after midnight and uh, after midnight was my biological birthday. So on my 18th birthday, I accepted Christ. And then I've been thinking about all the people who've been pouring into my life. All of those people who have taken time to pour in to me, to help me to draw as close to Jesus as I can. How about you? Some of you might not uh, think that, you know, I, I, I'm not a Christian yet. That's okay. You're still on the journey. You're still on the journey. And we'll see where this journey leads you, who God brings into your lives to speak truth, but to, to just breathe love into you. And that's how I just keep thinking about this book. It's important for us to trace those spiritual uh, that journey. Because it helps us to recall decisions and feelings and victories and defeats and people and turning points and so many other things that we have forgotten. 
Folks, I believe that there's many of you in here who need to be refreshed in the same way that the Israelites needed to be refreshed after all those years of captivity. This, I believe, is what the chronicler, the author of the book of Chronicles did. It was vitally needed for the faithful remnant, and I believe that it's still vitally needed for us today. I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am just so thankful that you love us. You have never given up on us. You have never given up on your people. And that because of your plan and because of your faithfulness to redeem us, Lord, we have been able to see Jesus each and every week through each and every Old Testament book. It's dripping with the anticipation of him coming, of him being the fulfillment, the messianic king that you promised in covenant to David so long ago. Lord, may we be challenged to look at our journeys and may we come to you renewed with grateful hearts. May we lay things down at the foot of the cross that Jesus died on to take care of all of our mess, all of our sin. And we praise you that you have provided a way. And Lord, would you help us to look forward to that incredible glorious day when Jesus returns again and we get to experience a brand new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. But more importantly, we get to experience just being in your presence. I thank you and praise you for how you have opened up the Old Testament to us. And I look forward with anticipation to what you have for us as we get to see Jesus afresh. It's in his name I pray. Amen.